to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Of course, as you know, we're proceeding very deliberately, very carefully through the book of Ephesians. Uh, So far in our study, we've had lots of opportunities to look at some deep doctrines of God's Word. And one of the things that we've learned about the book of Ephesians is it is a very doctrinal book and a very practical book. And, of course, we learned last week, and uh, I hope that you already knew this, that right doctrine leads us to right practice. Now, since we're just a few days before Christmas, I decided that we would take a little bit different look at the beginning of this first chapter, or fourth chapter, rather. I did uh, begin with the first verse of the chapter last week, but I want to uh, look at this in a little bit different way tonight, and we're going to emphasize this evening verse number five and two words that are in that verse One Lord. And I have a message uh, planned in just a couple of weeks on that fifth verse by itself. But I also want to think about this in light of Christmas as we talk about one Lord. And this evening we're going to use two portions of Scripture. So if you'd also uh, turn to the book of Luke chapter 1, have that ready. We're going to read uh, verses from both of these, uh, both of these portions of Scripture. And Luke chapter 1, you may already know the section of Scripture that I'm going to read is where Mary breaks out into a song as she thinks about the baby that she has in her womb. But let's start in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And if you'd stand with me, please. We'll read a few verses here, then we'll go to the book of Luke. Ephesians 4, verse number 1, Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, verse number seven is very significant to us because in Mary's song, in Luke chapter one, she talks about a gift of grace that God had given her. So Paul writes there, every one of us is given grace according to the promise of the gift of Christ. Now, if you turn over there, please, to the book of Luke chapter 1. We want to begin reading at verse number 46. Luke 1 verse 46. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath hoped his servant Israel, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the reading of your word tonight. We thank you for the story of Jesus as he came to this world. And Lord, not just to be a baby, but to go to the cross and die for our sins. We thank you, Lord, for the greatest story that was ever told. We pray, Lord, you might bless this message tonight. Draw our hearts close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In verse number 5 of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said, There's one Lord. 
And in our text that we read just from uh, just a moment ago from Luke chapter 1, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And I think if Mary were a theologian, that she would have used her statement, and I'm very sure that she meant this, there is one Lord that I magnify. There's only one Lord that I can magnify. And I don't think that there was anybody who can be mistaken of what Mary went, meant there when she meant that the one Lord who she, who she magnifies is Jehovah God himself. Mary believed in the one God. Now Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55 uh, it's just a beautiful passage of Scripture. In my estimation, it's one of the most beautiful things that we read in all the Word of God. To think that this baby in Mary's womb was the Lord Jesus Christ. And this portion of Scripture, as you may know, has been called Mary's Magnificat. That sometimes is noted in the, in the um, uh, versions, different versions of the Bible. as a subheading here. My particular Bible says the song of Mary. But this is where Mary magnifies uh, her God and her Savior, the Lord, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, or even the baby who was in her womb, that she would recognize at some time uh, would be the, the Savior who came into the world. But the subject, I think, of both Mary's song and also of the Apostle Paul's writing in the book of Ephesians is the one Lord. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, this evening about this one Lord is that he is the only Lord of personal grace. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul said, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And I believe that Mary recognized that God's action towards her was an act of personal grace. And for Mary, this wasn't just a singular act. This wasn't the only time that she experienced the grace of God in her life. Because I think uh, by looking at Mary and her, her willingness to do what God told her to do, that on many occasions she must have experienced the grace of God. Mary was a very godly, chaste woman, I think the Bible teaches. And out of all of the young ladies of Israel for 4,000 years of earth's history up until that time, Mary was the one that God chose to bear the Savior. So Mary had personal favor with God. And just this fact, just, just simply that God would even notice her, had to be an act of pure grace. Mary, perhaps in some ways, didn't look a lot different from thousands of other girls who had lived before her. And the baby that she was about to have wasn't just an ordinary baby, but if it were, wouldn't that be an act of grace? Isn't it an act of grace when, when God brings a little child into the world? We don't think of, especially if it's your child, that, that that child is just ordinary. Just three months ago, Clarissa had our first grandchild. And you dare not say that our grandbaby is just ordinary. I don't believe that. To have a grandbaby, that's a very personal act of God's grace. And isn't it unfortunate today that there's so many people who, who don't look at a newborn baby that way? They have no regard for newborn babies. They really don't mean anything. There's nothing special to them. Millions of babies get aborted every year, even before they're able to take their first breath. But do you realize that even in this passage of Scripture, that God shows us that, that he knows all about that little unborn baby? Just before this, in Luke chapter 1, verse 46... There's a story of how Mary had gone to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And in fact, that's, that's part of what's going on here as we read uh, Mary's song of praise. Elizabeth was also pregnant. And the child that she was about to have was a very famous baby as well, or, or become a very famous man. 
Who was he? John the Baptist. And as you know, John the Baptist was the one who would point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would say, Behold the Lamb of God that take away, what taketh away the sin of the world. John the Baptist was in his mother's womb. And did you know that John the Baptist recognized Jesus while he was even in his mother's womb? If you still have Luke open, look at verse number 39 in that first chapter. It says, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, listen, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Isn't that a remarkable testimony of the living God? God knows who we are. Now, of course, God knew his son. Uh, Of course, God knew that. But I also believe that God knew all of us before we were ever born. In the book of Jeremiah, uh, God told Jeremiah that he knew him before he was ever formed in his mother's womb. And so God's never surprised when things work out according to his plan. He's the one, or or when things happen in this world, because God's the one who plans them all. God knows, God knows all of us. Now, let me show you some things here that, Mary praised because of the one Lord. First of all, she praised him because he is the Lord who redeems us. Look in verse number 47, if you would again. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. Notice that Mary says, God, my Savior. And you know what that is? That's an admission that Mary was also a sinner. Mary also needed a Savior. Now, there are many people who preach in this Christmas season that Mary was sinless. Mary was born herself without any sin, but the Word of God doesn't say that. In fact, Mary recognized the fact herself that she was not sinless and she needed a Savior. So, just like everyone in this room tonight, Mary was a sinner in need of the grace of God and she knew that there was only one Lord who could redeem her from all of her sins. Now, thank the Lord for redeeming grace Because without that personal grace of God, not one of us would ever have forgiveness of sin. You know, Paul was writing about this very subject in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2. And he tells us there that we were all dead in trespasses and sin. He said that we were the children of wrath. But thank the Lord, he didn't leave us with that statement. Because he went on. And in the very next verses, Paul said, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. He's the only one who redeems. And when Paul said in Ephesians 4 verse 5, One Lord, he had in mind the only Lord who redeems. Now, next we see that Mary praised the one Lord because he is the Lord who regards us. In verse 48, Mary said, He hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. And so I think Mary was looking at this this way. I'm a nobody. Why would God ever recognize me? Why would God ever look to me? Why would God do such a wonderful thing in my life? And it wasn't just that God had saved her. We think about that. Salvation's a great gift, isn't it? I mean, if that's all that God ever did for us, is that all that we would ever need? I think it is. Salvation's the greatest thing that God could ever do for us. But God doesn't stop there. What do we learn from that third chapter of Ephesians just, uh, just a few sermons ago? That God does more and exceedingly more, exceedingly abundantly more, even than we can think or ask. 
And so Mary has something beyond just her salvation because God has chosen her to bring the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. God did exceedingly abundantly more for her. And that's why Mary says in this beautiful song, all generations, all generations, she said, shall call me blessed. Do you feel blessed? If you're a child of God, I think you should feel blessed. You know, I I feel blessed as I was praying just a moment ago to be the pastor of this church. I feel blessed because of that. But every single person in this room tonight, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're blessed. You've been called out by God. Listen to what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given in Christ Jesus before the world began. Folks, I'm blessed because God regarded me. He chose me in his own purpose and grace, and he sent Jesus Christ to die for me. You know, I pity people who really don't, don't understand that truth. You know, some people believe that Jesus never regarded anybody in salvation. There's nobody in salvation. I mean, Jesus went to the cross with nobody on his mind. He just went to the cross, and he hoped that somebody would believe in him. I don't believe that. I believe that Jesus Christ, in his own purpose and his grace, if I was the only person in the world who would ever believe in Jesus Christ, he would have come to die for me. I believe that he would do it. So praise God for this. He is the God who regards me. But then we have to go a step further because we also see Mary praised this one Lord because he's the Lord who rewards us. Now I want you to think for just a moment what Mary had to go through as this this young girl bearing the Savior. I mean, she is an unwed mother. She's a pregnant unwed mother, and she lives in a society that loathed women who committed adultery. You know, we learned in our study of John that men who committed adultery were not scrutinized like women were. We go back to that story in John chapter 8 and the woman who was brought to Jesus, and the Bible says that she was caught or taken in the very act of adultery. And that means there had to be a man who was also caught in the very act of adultery, But we don't see anything in the scriptures at all about that man being brought before Jesus. So Mary suffered pain and humiliation because of the pregnancy. She was falsely accused that she had done something immoral. And then after Jesus was born, do you think that all the false accusations stopped? They didn't. Because after Jesus was born, there were still many who who didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. In fact, most people didn't believe he was the Christ. They didn't believe he was the Son of God. And so they remembered what they think Mary had done. So her pain and humiliation didn't stop just because Jesus was born. So Mary faced ridicule. But one day she could look back on all of this and she could know that God had rewarded her. Again, she said, generation shall call me blessed. And all of us have been blessed because Mary bore the Savior who came into the world. All of us have the blessing. And that's something to remember, I think, when you go through pain in your life, when you go through trouble, humiliation, when someone criticizes you for being a Christian, when they may make fun of you at work or school or just friends or neighbors may make fun of you because you're a Christian. What did Jesus say? Matthew 5 verse 12 says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So he's the Lord who rewards us. He redeems us. He regards us. He rewards us. Isn't that wonderful? 
He is the God who does all that for us. And it's only because of personal grace that he rewards, redeems, regards, and does it all. Now I want you to notice next that he is the only Lord of perpetual grace. If you look again at verse 50 of Luke chapter 1, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. And that shows us that God's grace continues. God has perpetual grace. He never stops. God's never going to leave you hanging. You can always depend upon him. Let me, let me show you some aspects of perpetual grace. First of all, his grace is permanent. Mary knew that she wasn't the only one to receive grace. I mean, her generation was not the only generation to be blessed and not the only one to receive grace. I mean, even though it had been 4,000 years since the promise of the Messiah had been given, yet all generations from that time until hers had experienced outpourings of God's grace. As we study through the Old Testament, and we look through that on, on uh, Sunday nights, we saw God's grace in so many different ways. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It talks about how Abraham was given a new home, and that's because of God's grace. Isaac found Rebekah. Jacob was blessed when he wrestled with the angel. Joseph found grace in a prison house. Moses found grace when he was saved in the bulrushes by Pharaoh's daughter. Grace is abundant in the Old Testament. And when God says that he's going to bless his people, the grace just keeps on flowing. It never stops. God's grace keeps flowing. And we find that in the end of the Old Testament era. And that is when Judah and Israel were taken into captivity. 400 years after Nehemiah and Ezra, the people had turned their hearts against God. The Bible doesn't say that God even worked with Israel in any way for that 400 years. We know them as the silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And yet we come to Matthew, we come to the Gospels, we come to Luke, and there we find that God has not forgotten his people. God still has grace. And God one day came to a virgin named Mary. Friends, God's grace is abundant for us. In John chapter 1, verse 16, it says, And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 15, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. You know, as long as you live... Every breath that you take is by God's grace. Even if you're a lost person, just living in this world, that's by God's grace. Every breath you take comes from Him. And I believe this is true as well, that as long as you're living and breathing, you can receive the grace of God. You can be saved. As long as you're alive and breathing, you can be saved because God's grace is permanent. He never stops giving grace. But we notice this also, that His grace was promised. And we recognize the promise when Mary says in verse 53 of Luke 1, He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. So Mary recognizes here that all who call on the Lord will be supplied with good things. What does Jesus say? In John chapter 7, it tells us there, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So God promised something here, and Jesus promised something. You come to him, and you can be saved, he says. 
But we also notice as Mary sings this song, she says, he sends the rich empty away. And what she means is that those who are self-sufficient, those who trust in self-sufficiency, will be turned away from God. But even while she says that, she also shows us that anyone who seeks Jesus will find him. Anyone who knocks on his door will have it opened. Anyone who's thirsty can come to him and drink. And anybody who's hungry can find bread enough to be filled. So anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So Jesus gave a promise of grace. Just call on him, and he'll always be there. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews four sixteen, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so this is what Mary saw. Mary saw all of these things, and she praised God. She magnified the one Lord. And that's the same thing that Paul is speaking of in the book of Ephesians. Now, there's another area of grace that shows us that Jesus is the Lord, and he's also the only Lord of performing grace. Now, let's notice verses 51 and 52 back in Luke. It says in chapter 1 again, He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. So here we have a God who shows grace. In fact, folks, when we least expect it, God shows his grace. You know, I think it's just awesome how that God looks at things differently than we do. I mean, he looks at this whole world totally different. He has a totally different picture than we have. We look at successful people. We look at people who have great power. We look at fame. We look at wealth. And we find ourselves envious of people who have fame and success and wealth. And we think, oh, how great their lives must be. Look how they've been so richly blessed. But you know what we find out really? It's that the greatest majority of people who are famous... Those who are successful, those who are wealthy, have never actually been touched by God. Not in the same way that you and I have. God God hasn't touched them in the same way. God allows them to have wealth. God allows them to have fame. He allows them to have success. But they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we think how blessed they are. And we find out really in their relationship with the Lord how miserable that they are. Now God does exactly the opposite. He doesn't look at fame. Um, It's not success. It's not riches. In fact, the Bible says he doesn't call the mighty. This is what Mary said. I mean, he puts down the mighty from their seats. But then we notice that she also said he exalts them of low degree. Where have you heard that before? Seems like I heard Paul say something like that, didn't he? Didn't Paul say almost exactly the same thing? In fact, he did in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why? Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. One of these days, all of us will stand before God. Those who are self-sufficient will be stripped of self-sufficiency. All the rich people who trusted in their riches will be stripped of riches. 
Everybody who's self-righteous and thinks they're somebody and really they ought to go to heaven just because of who they are, they'll be stripped of all their self-righteousness. And why is that? Because God alone receives the glory. Nobody's going to be able to share God's glory. It all goes to him. So God is a God of performance grace and, and quite frank, a performing grace. And quite frankly, folks, God's performance is the only one that counts. It's the only one that counts. So no flesh, the Bible teaches, is going to glory into its presence. You know, I, I pity people who have to sit under preaching where people will tell you that you have to have a part of your salvation. You have a part. God has a part. We share in this thing. It's a synergistic effort. But I would say even your ability to believe in Jesus Christ is a gift of God's grace that comes from him. Now, we notice verses 54 and 55 God rejects the proud, but Mary says, He hath hopen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. So he talks about putting down all these folks here and how God doesn't regard the rich. She says, God doesn't look at the mighty. But she says here, He hath hopen his servant Israel. I remember when I preached a, a similar message to this about four years ago at Christmas time. And I said then, if I carried a King James Bible for no other reason, it's because of that one word right there. I love the word hoping. It just sounds great. You know, the NIV translates that word as helped. Just helped. But Mary, in the King James Version, says hoping. And that conveys a whole lot more meaning than just helping someone because it carries the idea of God succoring his children. One of the compound names that we find for, for a God in the Old Testament is El Shaddai. And in Psalm chapter 91, verse 1, it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And the word Almighty is the word Shaddai. Do you know what it means? Breasted one. The many-breasted one. And it's the same idea that Mary conveys in her speech. In this song, God succors his children. God is the provider. God gives his children help and care when they need it. Now, let me give you two reasons why Mary praised the Lord for performing grace. First of all, because God or the Lord remembers his promises. This singular act of grace upon Mary was a remembrance of God's promise. Here we have the fulfillment of thousands and thousands of years of promise and preparation. Mary said that God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to the fathers. God spoke to their seed and gave the promise. And the Old Testament is filled with this promise that Jesus would come. Many examples in the Old Testament about Jesus coming. I mean, the tabernacle, the offerings that we studied there, that was all a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who was coming. Prophecies throughout the word of God spoke of Christ's coming. Isaiah especially gives us a very special prophecy in uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. 700 years before Christ, he wrote, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It's a promise that was never forgotten. You've heard me preach many times that it all started way back in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3.15, God promised that a Savior would come. But also we find something else in the meaning of that word hoping. I mean, it is a very special word because it also carries with it the meaning of lifting up something that has fallen. And where was Israel when Christ came? 
far, far in unbelief. They'd fallen. In fact, it didn't look like Israel could even be restored to the belief of the true God of the Old Testament. Practically an impossibility. But that's exactly what Jesus came to do. Isaiah, as I said, 700 years before Christ, also wrote this. In Isaiah 53, verse 1, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? In John chapter 12, John recites Isaiah chapter 53. And, and he said, But even though Christ had done so many miracles, this is in John 12, verse 37, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah, or Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. Folks, that's nothing but telling us that Israel was falling. The whole world had fallen. All of the world was headed for destruction and justly deserving. But Mary says he remembers his promise. Here the young virgin Mary says, He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. So we thank the Lord for that. He's the God who remembers his promises. We've been looking at both Mary and Paul's exaltation of the Lord. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen under the glory of God by us. You might sometimes feel that God's forgotten you. Remember this, that God promised that Jesus would come 4,000 years before he actually came. He never forgets us. He never forgets a promise. All that God's doing is waiting for the right timing. And that's something we all need to learn. God does things in his own time. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul wrote, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now I want you to notice, finally, that he's the Lord of performing grace because the Lord remembers his people. Verse 55, once again, Mary said, As he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Mary was one of the Lord's people. Mary was from Israel, of course. And when God chose Mary, that was a fulfillment of the promise that there would be a Jewish virgin. It would come from his people. The Son of God would come from his people He would be the promised Messiah come to save his people. And that's a theme that occurs over and over in the word of God. God remembers over and over. God remembers because of his grace. God always remembers. Hebrews says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In times of great persecution, the people of God needed to hear statements like that. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And Mary, as an unmarried young woman, knew that God wasn't going to leave her. God would never forsake her. She was in trouble, no doubt about that. But she had hope in God. She knew he would not forsake her. Now, here's what Mary knew. Of course, she had never committed any sin. There was no reason for anyone to accuse her. She knew that. And so God was not going to leave her in that state. She would be blessed. And she said, all generations shall call me blessed. 
In the next book of uh, verse of Hebrews from that same chapter, verse 5 again said, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In verse 6, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You never have to fear because God always remembers his people. In the Old Testament, God said, I've graven you upon the palms of my hands. Jesus said in John ten twenty eight, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So God has power to uphold you. As God, he has power to sustain you. And I would remind everyone here tonight, God didn't save you to lose you. He's never going to lose you. He'll never forsake you. You never have to worry about God leaving you. So God remembers his people. And the words that Mary spoke... I think even as she spoke them and remembered who God was, that those were comforting words to her. And they ought to be comforting words to us as well. So we have a beautiful scripture here, don't we? Mary's song of praise to God. And tonight, I believe all of us are indebted to Mary. And we're not indebted to her in such a way that I think that we ought to bow down before a statue. We ought never regard Mary as being anything more than a young teenage girl who was born just like you and I were born, never regard her as any more than that. And Mary would never want us to worship her. She never asked to be worshipped. She never be asked to be held in higher esteem than anybody who's ever been born. But we still owe Mary a debt of gratitude, don't we? We owe her a debt of gratitude because of personal grace. She reminds us of those things. Personal grace, perpetual grace, and performing grace. So in the Christmas season, we need, to be remember, we need to remember all these things. We have one Lord. We have one faith. We trust in the one Lord. He's the one Lord that we worship. And all of us ought to magnify him for what he's done. So I would ask you, with those kinds of things in mind, do you magnify the Lord? Is he your Lord of personal grace? He's mine. And I hope in this Christmas season we really recognize what Jesus came into the world to do. Grace of God, the matchless, marvelous, wonderful grace of God, far beyond anything that we could ever imagine. Magnify the Lord. That's what we need to do now. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the word that we have. Thank you for Jesus who came into the world. Thank you for grace. Lord, we just pray. Thank you for such a beautiful scripture that's been preserved for us that we can read and find hope in. So, Lord, we just pray in this Christmas season that we would remember that we would be nothing except for your grace. Bless in this time of invitation, Lord. We give you the praise for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would grab a hymn.